I have a different anointing. My anointing is something I like to call the ministry of the awkward moment. And I'll tell you about it just so you believe me and you don't think I'm like making it up. But I was um, on the job 72 hours, like three whole days. And Pastor Frankie said, Sarah, I'd like for you to teach for me on a Wednesday night. And I had taught before, but just as a, as a lay person, as a lay leader. And I thought, sure, Pastor Frankie, I'd be glad to do it. But this felt a little bit different because now I was on staff, right? It's a little bit different when you're like volunteering, but now people are like, no, it's your job, you know? So you feel like this different, like, I can't screw this thing up, you know? They couldn't fire me when I was a volunteer. They might now. So that's kind of a, the finch you're riding. And I remember it was my, my first Wednesday when I was on staff, and the guys in the tech booth, first of all, tech is the toughest job you can have in the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Because bottom line, sound equipment is full of demons. Let's just shoot each other straight. They can, they can have everything working straight, and then there's no explanation. It all goes crazy. But the guys in the tech booth do an amazing job, and they came to me, and they said, Sarah, we know you got a lot on your mind. So we're going to do you a favor. We're just going to mute your mic from the back. You don't have to worry about flipping any mics on and off. You just concentrate on being you, which is a full-time job for me. So I said, well, guys, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So I'm singing in worship, and I worship with my eyes closed typically. You know what I mean? I'm not paying attention to anything. Isaiah gets us to visitor welcome, and so I'm like, shoot, I'm going to meet people. I'm excited, you know? And my good friend is standing behind me, and she goes, Sarah, girl, you look so sharp. I love what you're wearing. Mic on. I said, thank you so much. You know, I bought these new Spanx and they are awesome. <laughs> if you don't know what a Spank is, I'll tell you. If you've ever decided, can I have dessert or do I need to skip? Spanx says, you can have your dessert and it'll hold it in and keep it still for you. <laughs> that is what a Spank does. Hallelujah. We can put a man on the moon and we can make a woman look like she's one dress size smaller. I love this country. <laughs> so I tell, I'm, I go back to worshiping, you know, now I'm going to get ready to, to bring the message and I make eye contact with Isaiah Rangel, who I've been on staff with for three whole days. And he's like, your mic is off. <laughs> I'm like, this mic? Like there's another mic. You know what I mean? That's the mic. And I'm like, I look, the band will not make eye contact with me. And the singers are just, they are all about Jesus right now. Because I have told the entire worship team, I've got on a pair of Spanx and I look good doing it. <laughs> so that's when I knew from that moment on, you know, Beth Moore has her Bible studies. Joyce Myers is an amazing speaker. And Sarah Stevens has the awkward moments. And I know some of you guys are thinking, you know what, you know, that's a one-off. I'm here to tell you it's not because it happened to me two months ago. Pastor Frankie asked me to host the service. We have this amazing, you know, speaker come in and he's like, Sarah, introduce the speaker, you know, make him feel at home, take up the offering, host the service. I'm like, I got it, Pastor Frankie, as long as I don't have to preach, wink, wink. Well, guess what? Today is a little bit different, but it's like, this is great. I can do this. We get through first service, no hiccups. And ladies, I dress for the part, because if you're ever gonna be stressed out, you know you wanna look your best, you know what I mean? Like you are confident in your clothes, because if you're going down in flames, you're gonna look good doing it. So you dress the part. If the newspaper shows up, you wanna be ready, you know? 
So I put on this beautiful long white skirt and this cute little ensemble. I put on some high heels. I thought, you know what, I'm going to be on stage. Let me take it up a notch. I usually wear flip-flops. Let me put on some heels. We get through first service. God is so good. It's amazing. We have a great time. We get through second service. I'm like, woo-wee. I am in a new place. Look out, Joyce Myers. Awkward ministry behind me. Oh, the church is just about empty, and the only people left are about 25 teenagers who are too cool to eat lunch with their family. So they're trying to decide where they all want to go have lunch. You guys know what that's about. And I'm walking, and I'm about 150 feet from my car. I am right there in front of the youth kitchen. I can see the finish line. The heel of my shoe catches the hem of my skirt. And I look like a man trying to steal home plate. My skirt turned into a wedding veil, people. A wedding veil. I figure out where I'm at. I look like a cat trying to get out from under a blanket. It was like this kind of stuff. I sit up and I'm like, maybe nobody noticed. 25 teenagers are looking at me like this. It's like they just saw a train wreck, you know what I mean? They don't think they can do anything to help the survivor, but they can't take their eyes off it. They're like, two of the bravest men I know in youth ministry walk toward me, and they're like, Miss Sarah, Miss Sarah, and they don't know where to put their hands. They don't know how to help. They don't know how to help. So one goes for my phone, the other goes for my Bible. I'm like, these boys will go far. That was safe choices, boys. And I stand up, but remember, I have a double anointing. So what do you think I do? I catch that hymn one more time and I pull it down the other way. (laughs) Dose. So those boys, they're like, Miss Hera? I said, look, fellas, I said, I'm going to be good. I said, if you will just, my dignity is somewhere in this hall. (laughs) If y'all will pick it up. And just help me put it in my office. I'll get it on Monday (laughs) because it's a lost cause right now. And I got to tell you, my husband, I am married to an amazing man. I want you guys to know I am married. Some people didn't realize that. I'm like, yeah, somebody married this. I am married. I have two amazing children. And I always come home and I say, babe, I want you to hear it from me first. And he always knows. He puts the phone down. He puts the computer down. He's like, shoot me straight. Do we got to change churches? I'm like, it's not like that. So this time, after that, I, I came home, I said, honey, I want you to hear from me first. And he's like, I'm ready. He's, I said, I mooned the youth group twice. <laughs> he's like, I don't even want to ask. I was like, I don't either, but I'll get the resume ready in case I need to meet with Pastor Frankie on Monday. <laughs> but that's just who I am. That's the ministry of the awkward moment. So this morning, we're going to have a good time because I can't not stay serious for like more than 20 minutes. You know what I mean? So we're going to have a good time. We're going to laugh. We're going to dive in God's word together. And I am asking the Lord that we're going to leave this place changed. Amen? Amen. So let me pray and ask him for his help, okay? Lord Jesus, Father, I love you so much. God, I thank you so much that you brought your people into your house because you want to bless them. God, you have a word for every single man and woman sitting in this sanctuary. God, you love them, you're for them, and you're here today to just encourage them. God, I thank you that when you sent your disciples out, you told them very simply, as freely as you have received, freely give. And God, that's my heart this morning. God, as as I freely received from your word and from the goodness of the Holy 
Holy Spirit, allow me to freely give to every single person here. God, I don't have a corner on who you are. I don't have a corner or a monopoly on the, on the gospel or this message, but God, I'm here just to be a vessel to just give back to every person that's sitting in this room. Open ears to hear, open hearts to receive a message today that can be life-changing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, I'm ready to dive into it. And this morning, I'm going to talk to you guys about what we do when we get caught in the storm. Not if, but when we get caught in the storm. And the text today is in Mark chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. It's Mark chapter 6, verse 45. And I'm going to read it, and it's going to be up on the screen, so don't even worry. If you don't have your Bible, you can see it up on the screens. And it says here in Mark 6, 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. He, Jesus, was alone on the land. Verse 48 says, he saw the disciples straining at the oars. Everybody say, straining at the oars. You sound good. I got to tell you, 11 o'clock is more awake than 9 o'clock. This is good stuff. Straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because they saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed. All right, so my message this morning is straining at the oars. I just lifted it from that text. And I want to talk to you today and kind of paint this, this snapshot of this scene in Scripture. And what's happened is that Jesus has just fed the 5,000, which is a miracle a lot of us, you know, are familiar with. And so he's just fed these 5,000 people. Well, the people kind of want to stay and mingle and keep talking to Jesus. And so Jesus tells his 12 disciples, he says, look, fellas, I'm going to stay behind here. I'm going to kind of wrap up and dismiss the crowd. You guys hop in this boat. You paddle on to this city, and I'm going to walk around the long way, and I'll just meet up with you in town. And so the disciples are like, great. All right. So they hop in the boat, and they start rowing. And the first thing I kind of glean from this story is that's just about the way it is with all of us. About the time we get a clear idea of what God wants us to do, and we head off toward it, whether it's, you know, this goal he has for us or this ministry, or maybe we just decide, you know what, I'm tired of living this way. I'm going to do the right thing. We start heading off toward it, and then bam, that's when the storm hits. On a very practical level, I'll tell you, you know, Sunday night, we've all eaten at Rico's or we've eaten at Olive Garden, and we resolve on Sunday night, I am going to eat better the rest of the week. Anybody have that conversation on a Sunday night? Right, spirits attract each other. That's why I'm, pre- I'm preaching to you this morning. That is me every Sunday night. Well, first thing Monday morning, what happens? You show up at the office 
That's the day everybody brings donuts to the office. Isn't that true? You decide, I'm going to eat healthy, and then bam, donuts are in the office. And I sit there and I'm like, Satan, I know what you're doing. You're tempting me. Get behind me, Satan. And he always does. And he says, girl, you're right. You need to skip those donuts because I can see what it looks like from back here. So (laughs) I'm always encouraged. Skip those donuts. But that's the way it is with us. We get this clear decision, we get this clear path, and that's typically when the storm hits. And then in my life, the storm always hits when I'm too far from where I started and not close enough to where I'm going. These guys are in the middle of the lake. And for so many of us, if the storm hit right when we shoved off, it's like, hey, no problem, I can wade back to shore, not a big deal. Or hey, I'm almost there. You know, I can see the pier. If we could just maybe three more strokes, guys, and we're home. That's not when the storm hits for most of us. The storm typically hits where we're in too far to turn around and we're not close enough to be able to make it to the other side. But the million-dollar question when I kind of dissect this whole passage of Scripture for me is I'm reading and it says, in the middle of the night, Jesus saw them in the storm and straining at the oars. And I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. It's the middle of the night. Jesus on the land, disciples on the lake. How do, how do they see each other? How does Jesus see the disciples? There's no like lights on his boat. There's no fog horn. The scripture actually doesn't say they were even calling out to Jesus. So there's no like, hey, do you see us? There's nothing like that, no GPS, no anything. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, Lord, how did you see them in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the night? And I just want to submit to you that the reason Jesus could see them is because he never let them out of his sight. And if you're taking notes, that's my first point. So many of us, when we get in that storm, the first thing we need to remember is that we've never been out of Jesus' sight. You know, we're surprised by this sudden wind, we're surprised by this turn of events, but Jesus has had the disciples and that boat in his line of vision the entire time. And for so many of us, that's where we feel like we have to start with God. You know, when we go to pray, when I go to pray, I sometimes feel like I gotta catch God up on everything that's happened. You know what I mean? Like he hasn't had time to kind of pay attention to it. But the fact of the matter is, I've never been out of his sight the entire time. And you know how you know this? Because even though God, Jesus, is in heaven, he's sitting on the right hand of the Father, and he's making intercession for you every single day. Well, how does he know how to pray for you if he hasn't been watching you to know what you've been going through, to know how to intercede for you before God? That's how close you are to him. That's how every move that you make, he sees. And it's not like he has to go looking for you. Oh, wait a second, wait a second. I lost Sarah, where'd she go? Wait a second, oh yeah. Ah, I see some storms and some clouds up on the lake. That's soupy. She's probably in the middle of that. No, our Savior's better than that. He locks his eyes on us, and every step we make, he's ordered, and everywhere we turn, he's there, and he's interceding for us in every way. That's good news for me, amen? All right, so the first point is sight. Well, the second thing I notice, and why I have this prop here, and after having told you guys my amazing ninja coordination, I know some of you right now getting your phones ready. 
because you're like, I'm gonna, this is YouTube waiting to happen. This is going to go viral. We are, I'm going to go ahead and take my high heels off because let's not, you know what I'm saying? Let's just, let's start off on a, and I wore pants today. Can I get an amen? I wore some pants today. Yes. And I guess now would be a good time to introduce my husband just in case you guys need to notify next of kin. But my husband is Todd Stevens. He's right over here. Can you just wave, babe? And he is truly married to me and you will never find him. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the clap. You will never find him on the front row because Todd's been around me long enough to know he needs an exit seat because <laughs> he's pretty sure. And we drive two cars to church because he's like, I'll see you at home, honey. So Todd, I want you to be the first to know I was getting in this canoe at church, but we have this, this boat in life and we all are in this boat and we climb in it and the disciples are in it and it's not enough Thank you guys for stabilizing it. That was really great. And by the way, I did check to make sure I could fit because how embarrassing would that be? (laughs) I go to get in this thing and I have to wear it the rest of the service. (laughs) That would be, let me tell you, that would be bad, bad news. And Pastor Dwayne, if anything happens, you're in charge. And Isaiah just shift us into a healing service. (laughs) And Dr. Sweeney, you and me right here. So... We, we get in this boat, and all of us have this boat as sort of a metaphor for our, our way of life, our, our journey in life. And the first temptation we have when the winds start to pick up is that we always go looking for a better boat. We think somebody else has it better than us. Hey, I bet if I had her husband, if I had his wife, if I had their job, if I had their kids, if I didn't have this, you know, sickness, if, 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 and we go looking for a different boat, and I'm here to tell you that nobody has it better. Nobody has it better than you. Everybody's just got it different. Everybody's got it different. And so you sit here and you're like, you know, the psalmist says that he is mindful of our frame and he knows that we are but dust. And then the New Testament says that he's so careful not to put anything on us that he knows that we can't carry because he knows what your boat can do. And he knows who's in your boat. And nobody has it better. Everybody's just got it different. So the first time when you get in your boat, that's the first thing you need to remind yourself. Don't go boat shopping. Just trust your Savior. Amen? So we we get in this boat and we're paddling along. And this boat is apparently very fresh because my hands are wet. (laughs) I think the paddle has been in some water. It got some trapped some water. But anyway, we're paddling along and we're moving along. And we sort of feel like God is this little bit of a sports commentator. You know, he's kind of like calling the plays from the press box. Oh, you know, they should have put a man on this side or they should have put, you know, run this play or done this defense. And we kind of see Jesus in the same light that he doesn't appreciate. Sure, he sees me that I'm in this storm, he sees me, that I'm in this boat, but he doesn't understand what that means for me. And so we're sitting here and we're rowing and we're straining at the oars. I'm trying to love my spouse. God, I'm trying to be a good steward with my money. God, I'm trying to be faithful with the little things so you can trust me with much. God, I'm trying to be patient in this season. I'm pushing and I'm pushing and I'm straining. And we feel like God is like this commentator in the press box and he doesn't see anything but the storm. But verse 48 tells us that he saw the disciples straining at the oars. 
He just didn't see the boat in the storm. He could see their faces. He saw their countenance. He saw their muscles trying to pull an oar through a choppy, choppy lake. God did not just see the storm, but he saw what the storm was doing to his people, to his friends. And I want to encourage you today that you serve a God who isn't just so so passive as to just appreciate that you're in a storm, but you serve a God who appreciates the strain. He sees what it's doing to you. He sees the tiredness in your face and in your eyes. He sees the way you've picked that oar up a hundred different times and you don't seem to be making any progress. That's the God you serve. And he's here today and he wants you to know his heart is kind His heart is for you, and he's not content to leave you straining and straining and straining trying to move your boat this morning. So it brings me, and I'm going to delicately get out of this boat. Oh, (laughs) wow. Lord Jesus, thank you, Father. Okay. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. I just saw angels circle around him. (laughs) But your God is not content just to see you straining against the oars. What I love about our God and what just totally encourages me about his nature, and if you're taking notes, that's my second point. Not only does God see you, but he sees the strain. But that straining compels him to action. You know, Jesus appreciates your straining because he was human as we are human. So we sit here and we're like, well, how does he know what it's like to have conflict in his family? Well, let me tell you, he was in a blended family. He had a different dad than his brothers. And so there's this snapshot of where Jesus and Jesus's mother, Mary, and Jesus's brothers are going to this house because people are saying that Jesus is crazy. And you and I both know that the most dangerous place in America is between a mother and her child, no matter how old that child is. And so Mary hears, people think my son is crazy? Oh, well, excuse me. And she's going to town to take care of it. She brings Jesus' brothers with her. Well, they get to this house, and they can't get in. The house is so full. And so Jesus says, hey, send a message. Or Mary says, send a message to Jesus. Tell him that his mother and his brothers are here. I'll just wait out here. I probably should have some front row seats. It's probably reserved for me. I am the mother of the living God. Just go ahead. Just let him know I'm here. So they get the word to, to Jesus, hey, your mother and your brothers are here. And Jesus says, who are my brothers? Who is my mother? But he that does the will of the Father. And so the messenger, who I feel very sorry for, has to go tell Mary, well, there's this thing. Jesus said, who are my mother and who are my brother? And if I were Mary, I would have said, you tell Jesus, I am counting to three. And by the time I get to three, I want to see that skinny kid right here. (laughs) You know? But I didn't mother the Messiah, and that's a good thing. So Jesus knows. He knows if you've got strain in your family. He gets it. Jesus knows if there's strain between friends. You know, in your relationships, he got sold out for 30 pieces of silver by a man that he trusted for three years. Jesus gets strain. Jesus gets that, you know, I'm just not fitting into this community. If you're new to the Woodlands, let me encourage you. Everybody here is from somewhere else. 
We are all from out of town. Jesus gets what it's like to be from out of town and have to start over and make new friends and put down new roots. He knows what that's like. It says that the man of God did not even have a place to lay his head. He gets that. He gets our strain and he sees it in the disciples because he's lived it himself. And today you serve a God who is not content just to know where your boat is in the lake. And he's not even content to know how hard it is for you to row that boat. But he takes it a step further. And then if you finish verse 48, in the next breath, it says he saw them straining at the oars. And what does he do next? It says he went out to them walking on the lake. This is what gets me excited about the character of our God, y'all. He sees you strain. The disciples are not even praying. They are not even asking Jesus for help. They are not, scripture doesn't tell us that they're doing any of that. Scripture just tells us they're rowing. And Jesus, seeing their strain, walks out to them on the lake. He cannot sit passively by and see you strain in life and not come and offer help to you. That is incredible. That is the character of your God. That is his heart for you. You know, a lot of us, we sometimes think Jesus is going to judge us or Jesus, you know, we have this fear. You know, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, the first thing they did was they hid from God because they were afraid, you know, and the enemy had told them, well, now you're naked. You can't go see God. And they said, well, we didn't come to you because, you know, we're naked. And, and God says, who taught you those words? Those aren't my words. Who taught you that? And so many of you and I, we get in this situation and the the wind is buffeting us and when Jesus comes towards us, we fear. And I'm here to tell you today, perfect love casts out all fear. And God is love. And if you're in your boat and you feel fear, that's not Jesus. Jesus is not going to make you feel afraid. That's the enemy. And you have to sit there and go, now Lord, I'm a little scared, but I know you're coming toward me. God always makes the first move. He always makes the first move. I love it in Romans 8. It says that Christ or God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. We don't have to do anything to earn his love. But he proved his love for us in that while we were still sinners, he was willing to die for us. We get in this boat and we're over our heads and we don't know which way we're going to go, but God does us one better. He comes out to meet us before we even know how to ask him for help. That's how good our God is. So not only are you never out of his sight, not only does he always appreciate your strain because he was human like we're human, but the last point is this, that he is always Savior. He is always Savior. When the angels came and they told Mary, they said, hey, you're going to have a baby. The Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. And what's going to be conceived in you is of the Holy Spirit. And it's going to be the Son of God. And they said in the same breath, name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. From his conception, Jesus has been about one thing saving. And so you and I today, that's the heart of our Savior. And Savior is something like, it's not a word we use in everyday language. You know, it's kind of an old school word. You know, we don't really find many uses for the word Savior when we're making up sentences and describing things to each other. But the definition of Savior is a rescuer, someone 
who saves from danger something or someone. That is what Jesus is all about. Doesn't matter who you are, what you have, what you've done, whether you know to call on him or you don't know to call on him, he is always true to his name, Jesus. He is always true to want to reach out to you, to save you, to seek you out, to make you whole. Amen? So I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm continuing to kind of absorb this word. And when you read the word of God, you know, there's so many different like beautiful layers that God is communicating to his people. And we see that the disciples are screaming out in terror. Jesus is coming towards them and they're screaming, they're freaking out because they're thinking it's a ghost. You know what I mean? And they're like, what is this? We just went from bad to worse, fellas. We're not going to just drown. Apparently we're going to have the willy scared out of us and then drown, you know? And so we sit here and the first words out of Jesus's mouth are, take courage. Do not be afraid. It is I. I want to tell you this morning that the first words you hear in your storm, if it's the voice of Jesus, it's always going to come to you with hope. Don't worry. There is no place you can go that I can't reach you. Don't worry. I don't have to fix broken. I can make new. Don't worry. The economy's down. That doesn't matter. I can provide for you. The first voice that you hear in your storm should be the voice of hope. And you will know that is the voice of your Savior because that's his language. And he's walking towards you with promise. That excites me. Like, Gosh, that's the character of our God. You know, he could have sent angels to help the disciples. He could have rebuked the wind and waves from the shore. He could have done this great parable about how they should have used faith. He doesn't do any of that. Our God gets up and he fixes it himself and comes out to them. So this morning, that's the God you serve. He's not sitting there armchair quarterbacking you, coulda, shoulda, woulda. He's not sending someone else. He didn't send someone else. He put himself on the cross to die for you. And he says, you know what? When they get in over their head, I'm sending myself. I'm sending myself to them to help them. That's incredible. And I'm so excited about that nature of our God that he's so hands-on. So we sit here and we keep dissecting it. And we look at it and we think, man, I don't know if I could trust Jesus with everything in my boat. And I want to leave you with this thought. You will turn to what you trust when you're in trouble. You will turn to what you trust when you're in trouble. So if you trust a jelly donut when you are in trouble, that is what you will turn to. You will medicate with food. When you are in trouble and you trust another a pack of cigarettes or a drink or whatever it is. If you trust your spouse and you put it on your spouse, if you trust your girlfriend or you trust your job or you trust yourself, that is what you will turn to when you are in trouble. The disciples are rowing their boat and they're rowing their boat. They're doing everything they know how to do, but they think the thing that's going to get them out of trouble is their ability to row. 
And you and I, we fool ourselves when we get in this boat and we hit this headwind and we are rolling with everything we've got. God, I know you've called me to this. You told me to get in this boat. You told me to row to this other side. I am working every day. I am loving my husband. He forgot our anniversary. I am loving my children and they are breaking everything I own. I am doing everything right that I know how to do, but I'm turning to myself and my ability to row. And it's not moving my boat an inch. In fact, there's an opposite effect. The more I row, the less peace I have. The rowing did not give the disciples peace. It increased their angst. It increased the size of the waves. It increased the sound of the wind in their ears. And they're rowing with everything they got. And with you and I, that's the one thing we got to watch out for. The enemy will tell us to row harder. He will tell you to do more. He will tell you, you're just got to do this or you just got to do that. He will tell you to do anything and everything other than to turn to Jesus. And you and I got to be wise to that. We got to be hip to that. We got to say, you know what? Rowan isn't going to fix this problem. One thing is going to fix this problem. I need Jesus to climb in this boat. And it's not going to scare me, and I'm not going to think he's a ghost. I'm going to know the sound of my Savior because he always speaks to me in hope. And I'm going to know that's him coming out towards me, and I'm going to let him in this boat. I'm going to tell you guys a story, and if Isaiah, if you'll come and help me close, a very personal story that happened to me a couple of years ago. I was, you know, it's all well and good to like preach a sermon, but you ever try to live one? That's something, isn't it? read the Bible, and then we go, wait a second. <laughs> That's for me too. So a couple of years ago, it was an Easter Sunday, and we don't try to go out to eat, you know, on Easter Sunday. It's just crazy. You know, the restaurants are packed. It's just bananas. You just can't even think about doing it in the woodlands. And our family's all back east. We don't have any family here. It's Todd and I and our two children. We have good friends, but, you know, growing up, Easter Sunday, everybody went to Grandma's house, right? You get a big ham, everybody hangs out. Well, that, that's, you know, we're not in that season. So we came home, and we were going to grill hamburgers. And I remember the phone rang, and I recognized the number. It was my sister. I'm the oldest of four girls, and so it was my younger sister. I was like, hey, Erin, happy Easter. I think she's just calling to, like, wish me happy Easter. I'm like, yeah, kids are about to do baskets, Todd's grilling burgers. She's like, yeah, yeah, Sarah, yeah, happy Easter. Listen, can you talk to me? I got something serious I need to talk to you about. And I'm like, sure, sure, I'm, I'm washing. I remember it, like, vividly. I was washing lettuce in the sink. And I'm just talking to her on the phone. And she's like, hey, um, mom and dad, our parents, are at the hospital, and dad's in ICU. And you ever have one of those phone calls where it's like the whole world pauses, like freeze frame, and it's just you and the person on the phone, and you give the next 30 seconds your undivided attention. And I sat down at the kitchen table. The water was still running. Todd can tell. This is not a happy Easter phone call. He gathers the kids up. He goes, takes them outside. And I'm like, Erin, what's going on? She's like, Dad, um, Dad's in ICU. And she said, you know, Sarah, our hearts are supposed to beat like a flip-flop. Like flip-flop, flip-flop, flip-flop. She said, but Dad's is not beating. It's fluttering. 
He has something called AFib. And they're trying to work it out, but they're not sure that they can get him stabilized before his heart tires out. And so I'm just calling you. Mom wants me to call you so that you can know. And we know you can't do anything. You're 1,600 miles away, but we just want you to pray. And we just want you to know, because if I have to call you again, I want you to be prepared. I said, sure, Aaron, I'll pray. Absolutely, I will pray. And I will, um, you call me back, you tell me what you need, I will be there for you. Hang up the phone. My parents are young. My parents were at the time, my dad was 55, 56. You want to talk about a storm out of nowhere? Easter Sunday, I'm sitting in my boat. He is risen, life is good, and bam, that. So I I go outside, I say, hey, Todd, I'm going to need a few minutes. I'm going to go upstairs. And I kind of give him the cliff notes, the version of the conversation I have with my sister. He's like, yeah, 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 go upstairs. I go upstairs and I get on my face in the carpet of my bedroom. You ever prayed like that? Like you don't even kneel? You just start crying in the floor. And I say, every step I took up to my bedroom, I was rowing. I was like, okay, well, Todd, we know people. Like, we we are good friends with a wonderful cardiologist in the woodlands. He's the best in the woodlands. Let me call him. Row. You know what? We, I just met with the guys at the Texas Heart Institute, Dr. Cassells. He has pioneered therapies. Row. And you know what? I bet if I could get a flight out of there tomorrow, I could talk to mom and dad. She probably needs me to kind of help settle some things. Row. Every step I took up to my bedroom, I rowed and rowed and rowed. And by the time I got to my bedroom, I was done rowing. I laid on the carpet and I couldn't even pray. You ever get to that place where you just cry and you hope God understands snubs? And you just pray and you pray and you pray. And it finally occurred to me, and I felt the Holy Spirit. He said, Sarah, you are not going to be able to network this for your dad. You're not going to be able to row this boat for your dad. You're not going to be able to fix this. The answer to this problem is you need me in the boat with you. Because the wind is not going to stop blowing. But your ability to take the wind is going to increase exponentially because you're going to have a peace. You know, a lot of us, I think, pastors and and church leaders, we try to peddle wind repellent. Hey, do this and the wind won't bother you. That's not what I'm here to offer you. I'm not selling wind repellent. I'm selling you that Jesus has to get in your boat and your capacity for wind is going to increase exponentially. The wind is not even going to bother you anymore. Because the creator of the universe is sitting in your boat with you. He's not going to let you down. You read the next verse and it says that the disciples did not understand. They were terrified because their hearts were hardened. Because they had not understood about the miracle of the loaves and fishes. Here Jesus had just fed 5,000 complete strangers. And they think that he's going to let 12 of his best friends drown. Their hearts were hardened. And this morning, you and I, we can love God, we can serve God, but if our hearts are hard, we'll believe the lie that he's going to let us go down with the ship instead of coming out to us and meeting us in the boat. Let's stand together if we can.
I wish I could tell you that I had this amazing epiphany that my dad was out of the hospital the same day. I want to tell you it took a year. It was a hard year of my life. You guys ever been in a season where you dread the phone ringing? Because you're like, you don't know if it's good news or bad news, and emotionally you just can't take it? And everybody knows there is never a good phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning. When the phone rings at 2 o'clock in the morning, nobody's calling to tell you you won the lottery. You know, your heart just like sinks. But it was a year. It was a hard year for my family. And it was a year where the only thing I could do was invite Jesus into my situation, invite Jesus into my boat, invite Jesus into my boat. Because I wanted to do all that was in me, wanted to just row, 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 row. Because I wanted to trust in myself before I wanted to trust in Jesus. And I had to live a year holding on just to him.